strike. From the national anthem to the bottom of the night. I'm in Slendy, Ego, Slendy, Ego, Slendy, Ego, Slendy, Ayy. You already know what's up. What's that? Another home run. But you know the job ain't done. Till we hold that trophy up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 438 of the Talking Drivers podcast and YouTube show. Ben Fadden with you here. It is August 5th, 2023. You're probably going to be watching this on replay or listening to this on the podcast platforms on August 6th because it's a little bit later at night. But if you're here live on YouTube, I definitely appreciate you for being here. If you want to make sure that I get to your comment or your question, you can use that super chat button. It makes it very easy for me to see your comment, your question, and it supports the channel. If you want to join this live show, you can click that link that is pinned up at the top of the chat. There's a ton to talk about on tonight's show. The Padres Dodgers series, it's not over. It's not close to being over, but a ton has happened in the first two games of this series. We got games three and four on Sunday and Monday, Sunday night baseball on Sunday. Lance Lynn on the mound for the Dodgers, Rich Hill on the mound for the Padres. So two trade acquisitions or two two, uh, trade deadline kind of acquisitions that are starting on Sunday Night Baseball. And then on Monday, day game, the straw hat giveaway, it'll be Seth Lugo on the mound for the Padres. But it feels like the series, it feels like based on how much has happened in the first two games of this series, you could do a whole series reaction because there's a ton to talk about in these first two games. Um, Obviously yesterday was a collapse by the Padres bullpen. That was a miserable night, you know, sitting there at Petco park at the end there and seeing the Dodger fans dancing around and all the let's go Dodgers chants and the Dodger blankets and a bunch of Dodger blue, obviously uh, because there were a lot of Padres fans that, you know, decided to leave when they saw the bullpen collapsing or after the bullpen had collapsed and wanted to get home because they weren't going to come back, you know, might as well just leave. Um, But then today Padres, they looked like they were going to lose, but then they turn it around, have a huge comeback. And that may have been the win of the year for the Padres. And like I said, on my post game reaction that I posted a few moments ago, regardless of how this season goes, Tonight for the Padres was a memorable moment in this Padres season. Regardless of if they make the postseason or if they miss the postseason, I think after this season is over, we'll look back at this game and we'll remember the game. It's not going to be like, oh, so uh, August 5th, what happened that day? Padres, Dodgers, Saturday night? Yeah, don't remember. No, you're going to remember what happened uh, with all the um, the weird umpiring stuff that happened. Ruben Niebla gets ejected. Manny hits a bomb, which I forgot to even mention in my post-game reaction. I forgot to even mention on the breakdown that I just put out uh, on the Niebla ejection. Manny getting pissed off at the umpire because the umpire didn't do his job on the Bruce Dark Gratterall. Uh, he didn't call the violation, so the no violation call when it was a violation Manny having the huge hit in the eighth inning. So breakdowns out on that. I did not include the home run because I was just going fast and that just totally escaped my mind for some reason. So that's on me, but a huge night for Manny. And so, yeah, it's been this Padres season really like down 
a down game, right? Just really disappointing last night, but then a high tonight. And so it just kind of shows the potential of this team, but it's also showing why this Padres team isn't in a postseason spot. You know, they, they can't get out of their own way sometimes. So a lot to talk about. Uh, as we stand here, wild card, the Cincinnati Reds lost tonight against the Washington Nationals. So with the Padres winning, they're now three games back of a wild card spot. So they are definitely in it. And the Reds run differential minus 26. The Padres run differential is plus 75. So run differential, yeah, that, that does not tell the whole story. And that can definitely be misleading. Now, three games back, right? Padres are in it, but they have to get over four teams. The Reds, the Marlins, who are a half game back. The Cubs, who are one game back. And the Arizona Diamondbacks, they're a game and a half back of that final wild card spot. But if the Padres continue to play really good baseball, I mean, they could end up hosting, or not not hosting probably, but getting one of the, the better wild card spots instead of being the last wild card spot. Because the Giants even, okay, they're three games up on the final wild card spot. That's not a, that's not a lot, right? And the Giants, Phillies, Reds, it seems like those teams, they're coming back to the Padres. The Padres are playing better baseball, and those teams, they're not playing as good of baseball as they were playing earlier in the season. So that that should favor the Padres. But I'll get to the chat, obviously. Let's, let's, uh, let's start off with tonight's game, obviously, because that just happened. Padres win this one 8-3. Blake's now on the mound. I, I like the matchup going in. You know, Blake Snow, obviously, last two months, he's been pitching incredibly well. He's been pitching like, I shouldn't say like, pitching as the best pitcher in baseball. If he continues to pitch well, I think that he should win the National League Cy Young Award at the end of this season. You know, the, the, the Dodgers on the other side of things, they were going to go with kind of a multi-starting pitcher thing, if that makes sense. Like, I guess an opener is who they went with, Michael Grove. And then they went with Ryan Yarbrough. And so maybe they did that to have Bomel put out a certain lineup and then they can bring Yarbrough in and he can have an advantage there. And when you look at the game and how it turned out, I mean, it did work for the Dodgers for the most part. I mean, the Padres scored one run for, through the first seven innings. Then they dropped seven runs in the eighth inning though, right? So it's not a seven inning game, it's a nine inning game. And so that's why the Padres were able to win today. And that's why the Dodgers were able to win yesterday. You know, Padres, they had a lead late, and then they couldn't hold it, right? The Dodgers were the ones that came through with a huge um, last couple of innings, right? So different games. You know, the Dodgers had a good moment. Padres have a good moment here. So series split the first two games here. Manny, obviously in the fourth inning, a huge bomb. I mean, he knew that was gone. Top tank, left field, second deck. And he's been hot, obviously. Um, month of July, he was amazing. And if he continues to swing the bat well, that's obviously going to bode well for this Padres team. I mean, we saw it last year where Manny was the MVP, I think, of the National League. He didn't win it, but I think he should have won it. And he carried this Padres team last year. When he's going, the Padres are doing well. And that's 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 not just just last year. That's not just the month of July where the Padres did play better baseball record-wise. 
it's his whole career. I mean, you go back to the Orioles or the Padres, like, did he have a down season? Okay, the Padres probably didn't do that well. Did he have a good season? Padres probably did well. And so hopefully he can continue playing well. Because I know I know it's it's not just Manny, but that is a theme. And Manny's obviously the captain, one of the stars of this team, and hitting in the middle of the lineup every day. So his production definitely will help this Padres team get to where they want to go. And Manny obviously had a huge night. Had a huge hit in the eighth inning. Tie game in that spot comes through. I believe that hit to left made it a 5-3 ball game. And, you know, the Padres, just like the Dodgers earlier in this game where Blake Snell, the I believe the first run they deal out. No, no, that was the Will Smith home run. Sorry. The second run in the top of the second where Kike had the sack fly. Chris Taylor was walked by Snell earlier in the inning. And that ended up biting Blake Snell in the butt because obviously Chris Taylor ended up scoring on the sack fly. So it's not like he gave up another bomb or something. He gave up a fly out, but the free pass ended up scoring. Um, and for the Padres, they ended up benefiting from that, taking advantage of that, where, you know, in, in the eighth inning, who was on the mound? It was uh, Yancey Almonte, I believe. He ends up getting the loss for the Dodgers. Eighth inning here, and he had trouble throwing strikes. Um, he replaced Bruce Dark Gratterall. We'll get to the, the Gratterall thing, the Snell, Niebla thing. We'll, we'll get to that. But so he allows a single to Gary here in the eighth inning. Walks Kim, walks Tatis. Caleb Ferguson comes into the game. So that's two runners right there that reach base thanks to Almonte not being able to find the strike zone. Soto singles, which it was a bad throw. So there was a throwing error by Kike. Uh, wasn't even close. And that allowed, obviously, runners to run wild for the Padres there. Gary ended up scoring. Kim ended up scoring. And the ball went into the dugout, so Tatis had to stop at third. Uh, and that's where um, Manny comes up, drives in a couple runs, drives in Soto, drives in Nando, gives the Padres the 5-3 lead. Um, and Crony comes through with a huge hit after that. That's after Manny was, I mean, it was an idiotic decision. I don't know what the heck he was doing. He was off the base path. He gets caught. But another bad throw by the Dodgers, and Manny ends up running two-third. And he was hobbling. I thought it was like his ankle, but I think the update I thought I saw on Twitter here before I went live that Manny, it was a hamstring issue. That's what Bob Melvin said. So we'll see what Manny's status is for the rest of this series here. Let me, let me find this update because I was confused because I, I didn't see him holding his hamstring or anything like that when he went down. I just saw him, or I saw the camera that obviously MLB showed on the broadcast of when he was looking at the throw, he was rounding second base, and he kind of turned his his ankle, it looked like. Um, where's the update? Hamstring tightness. So Bob Mellon says, we'll see. Sometimes those things don't feel better the next day. He's been known to play with some stuff, but he's probably going to be sore tomorrow. Uh, here, here. I'll just play the Bob Melvin audio here via 97.3 The Fan. Much better game. Uh, we've talked about the resiliency of your ball club all season long after a tough loss last night. Showed it again tonight, the resiliency. Yeah, and some really big at-bats late in the game here and we're behind, which we haven't seen in a while too. So 
Um, you know, look, after last night, we had to have a much better game today. I think yeah, they, they did. Even though for a while it didn't look great, um, the intensity was there the entire game. We realized that we're going to have to have games like this if we're going to keep moving forward. Some poignancy to be able to do to them what they did to you last night with the big eighth inning to take the lead away? Yeah, I mean, I weren't really thinking about it. It's just more, you know, having good at-bats late in the game, we're behind. We haven't seen them, and we had multiple at really good at-bats. So um, hopefully that's something to build off come tomorrow. Uh, a little bit of a quick turnaround, but, you know, and uh, just a different feeling here. You heard the fans when they get into it late in the game. Some of the last year it can have an effect, which it did tonight, but good to be able to reward them. How big was it to have Manny have the night that he had, and is he okay? Yeah, it's a little bit of a hamstring uh, tightness, so we'll see. Um, sometimes those things don't feel better the next day. He's been known to be able to play with some stuff, but it's probably going to be a little bit sore tomorrow. When you say you know you have to have games like this, we're speaking primarily of the big at-bats in the eighth inning yeah. or coming back? Both. Coming, I mean, we have not done that well this year when it was calling card No, they year, haven't. So it'd be nice you know, here with how many games left to pick that up because it gives your team a lot of confidence when you know that you can come from behind, you know, especially here at home, and you never feel like you're out of a game. All right, so there's Bowmel. So we'll see. Again, we'll see what Manny's status is, but it was obviously a huge game from him. And, again, he's one of the leaders of this ball club. You know, Joe Musgrove goes down, he gets shut down, and we'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. And they need another leader to step up. And so Manny did that tonight. So props to him, and hopefully he'll be okay. I'm not worried about it right now because it's Manny Machado. Like, he's just going to fight through it. But I wasn't super worried about the Musgrove thing either, and we, we saw that worked out. So, again, fingers crossed there. Uh, but entertaining night. I mean, there was – it was entertaining in a kind of negative way, if that makes sense in part of these game in part of this game tonight because of what happened Ruben Niebla gets ejected and then Manny getting pissed off at the umpire when he doesn't call the violation on Bruce Dark Rattle. So again, I did a breakdown on this so you can go watch that here on this Talking Fires YouTube channel. I appreciate anyone that goes and spends a couple minutes and watches that. Um, I was doing that actually during the Padres game today, trying to work on that and get that out for you guys as soon as possible. Um, but let, let's start with the Blake Snell, Ruben Yebla thing. So obviously Snell, he was trying to hide what pitch he was going to throw. He was hiding the pitch comm device with his glove because he didn't want to see maybe the first base coach or the runner on first pick up what he was going to throw. Now, I don't know if the first base coach or the runner on first could actually see, I think it was James Altman on first, can they actually see Blake Snell pressing a button? Like, it's not like he's putting down number one to Gary Sanchez or anything like that, where it would be easier to see. He's pressing a button. So do they? can they see him press that button from where they are? I'm not so sure about that. But Blake was trying to be safe about it. And so the first base umpire... From his angle, he thought that Blake was coming set. Even though Blake, it's not like he, for those on the YouTube, they can see me. It's not like he was coming set and he was standing up. He was down still, like he was looking into the catcher, looking for a sign, even though that's not what was happening. He was, you know, 
doing it on his pitchcom device, but he clearly was not up and coming set like he was ready to go pitch. That was not going to be his next movement. So I don't really understand what the first base umpire was looking at there. Like Blake Snell never comes set like how the umpire thought he was set there, if that makes sense. So it was clear what he was trying to do. He gets called for a balk because he then puts his he then goes down, puts his arm behind his back like normal because then he's going to start to come set, start his windup, and gets called for the balk. Niebla gets pissed off. He comes out. Snell's pissed off too. He's like, and as you can see on the the breakdown, if you go watch it, it's easy to see what Blake's saying. Like, I'm trying to hide it. What the heck do you want me to do? <laughs> What do, you, what do you want me to do? I'm trying to hide it from the guy on first base so he doesn't see what's coming, so he doesn't see what I'm trying to do here. And I think Ruben came out. Bob came out as well eventually. But Ruben came out because he was trying to protect Blake because he saw that Blake was irritated. He didn't want Blake to get thrown out, obviously, because Blake's pitching, you know, he's the best Padre starting pitcher right now available, right? So Ruben, he's separating Blake and the first base umpire because he doesn't want Blake getting thrown out. I think, I mean, he also you saw that he also said something to the first base umpire. He probably said some choice words, like stop making it about yourself with probably some cuss words in there. I couldn't tell what he was saying. But I he made contact, I believe, with the first base umpire. And the first base umpire was probably like, okay, yeah, that's it. You're gone partly because of Niebla making contact. And I don't think that he liked that Niebla was trying to like maybe do the umpire's job. The umpire is usually like, okay, go over there, stop, right? Usually another umpire comes in between the umpire and the player. Okay, you go over there, stop. You go over there. And Niebla was doing that. Maybe he didn't like that as well. He throws out Niebla. And so Bob Melvin's obviously pissed off about that because now Ruben's gone. Ben Fritz has to come in from the bullpen and be the pitching coach for the rest of the night. So if you were wondering who that was, Ben Fritz, he's the bullpen coach. So um, he he's like the second pitching coach. He comes in and he has to be the pitching coach the rest of the night. Um, and he's just – Bomo comes out and he's like, who'd you throw out? I think he was glad that it wasn't Blake at that point. He's obviously irritated that it was – that anyone got thrown out because Ruben was just trying to protect Blake Snell. And he probably was out there trying to question, like, what well, he was probably trying to get clarification on what the heck was going on and explaining what Blake was doing. Because, again, like, Blake, it was obvious he was not trying to come set in that spot. So, yeah, that first base umpire, it was just stupid. Like, get a feel for, realize what Blake is doing. Know from every pitch that you're watching how Blake comes set. He doesn't come set when he's down like this right? Like he, he's not set like that. No pitcher comes set like that. You're set when you're up top, right? So that, yeah, that was stupid. And then later in the game, Manny gets pissed off. He doesn't get ejected. Nobody got ejected there. Thank goodness that the home plate umpire gave him some leash because he knows he effed up the call. Um, but Gratterall's on the mound. I hate that guy. Jeez Louise, I cannot stand that guy. But he's on the mound and he commits a violation. And I posted the video and some fans were still like, it's no violation. Maybe it was Dodger fans. But if you thought there was no violation there, 
you're either blind or you weren't watching, right? You you don't know you don't know the rules of a violation. Gratterall started his windup to get set when Manny had not made eye contact yet. I get the rule. Manny does not have to be set, but he has to make, be making eye contact with the pitcher. And that's not what happened. Gratterall lifted the ball and started to come set. Manny had not made eye contact with Gratterall yet. So that's a violation right there. That's a violation. And the umpire did not call that. Manny gets ends up striking out looking, obviously, because he thought a violation was going to get called. It doesn't. He gets pissed off, obviously, cussing at the umpire. Bowmel comes out. He's pissed off as well. And they're, they're like, it's a violation. And you can see also on the breakdown, Manny's like, I have 20 seconds. What are you talking about? So like he's saying, like I have time to get in the box. I'm taking my time to get in the box because I had the time. It's Gratterall. It's on Gratterall to wait for me to make eye contact with him, and then he can start. So yeah, the umpires, it was wacky today for sure. And yesterday, I mean, I'm watching you know from hundreds of feet away the strike zone, but it felt like the strike zone was off last night as well. Some of you that were probably watching on TV probably thought the same. Just a wacky couple of nights. A very, but again, you know, some of these events made it very interesting. Manny with the home run. Then what happens with the umpires? He gets pissed off at the umpires. He strikes out looking, but then he gets the last laugh later tonight. Comes through with the RBI single, clutch RBI single, bringing in a couple runs. And then what I also liked about this Padres offense was it didn't just stop there. Right, it wasn't just the RBI single, and then Hater had to come into the game and save it. They kept adding on. Crony, not trying to pull something, not trying to take this huge swing, this uppercut swing, which he has done at some points this year. He just takes it the other way, a classic Crony swing. Like that's the swing that Crony should have. Just short, compact to the ball, take it where it's pitched. Right, you know that saying, take the ball where it's pitched, and he goes down the line. Huge hit against the Dodgers. We've seen that before. Um, so that was huge. Grish coming through as well. So it was the adding on that was good, right? They didn't just have the foot on the pedal and then take it off, right, and slow that car down. They kept it on, and then that allowed Ray Kerr to come in the game instead of Josh Hader. And now hopefully that will allow Josh Hader to pitch tomorrow and in the series finale if needed on Monday. And if he if he doesn't have to pitch in one of these games, then he can pitch in Seattle. So that's good there. Uh, yeah, really entertaining night from the Padres here. They win 8-3 tonight. Um, yeah, I see some people in the chat. Umpress tripping. Ump had Dodgers plus one and a half. Yeah, didn't win that one if that was the case. I, I agree, Daniel. I'm so glad that our team added on there in that eighth inning, especially with how the Dodgers got us big yesterday. And good segue into yesterday. What a frustrating loss yesterday was and this is what this Padres team has been this year right frustrating and then they make you smile the next night right like wow that was a crappy loss kicking the nuts and then oh my gosh what a freaking win that was you know just stay consistent just be consistent you know and and we'd be much happier right uh but yesterday they obviously lose 10-5 and they had a 3-2 lead and Robert Suarez blew up, you know, really frustrating last night. Um, 
Where should we start with Robert Suarez last night? I, I'll go through, I'll just go through everything that happened with Robert Suarez there in that eighth inning. Obviously, they have a 3 2 lead. And uh, I'm scrolling down here because I want to make sure I get to every play here that happened. So he gives up, he replaces you, Darvish. Let's start with that decision. Darvish, Melvin deciding to take Darvish out. He still had pitches left in the tank, I believe. I was fine with that decision. Like, you have a fresh Robert Suarez, you have a fresh Josh Hader coming up in the eighth and the ninth innings if you're able to keep this lead, right? That's the plan. Any manager in baseball would probably have gone to that instead of having Darvish continue to pitch to a lineup that's getting more familiar with him based on like what he's throwing that particular night, right? And Darvish did give up a run, I believe, the inning before. So it's not like he was completely cruising. I saw some people th- saying that he was cruising. He wasn't completely cruising. Gave up a run the inning before. And you have, again, you have a fresh Suarez and Hader. And Suarez, ever since he got activated, he's been pitching pretty good. And Hader, obviously, for the most part this season, he's been pitching really well. So you're going to go with that. So I had no problem with Darvish being yanked there in the eighth inning. It's not like he was yanked in the sixth. Suarez gives up the single to Kike, walks Mookie, and he gets the line out, right? Freddie lines out to Xander. He strikes out Will Smith, and he was one strike away with David Peralta up at the plate. Manny was shifted. This is obviously what the scouting report said, because that's why Manny was shifted over. He was shifted, moreover, off the line. And David Peralta, just a good piece of hitting, took it the other way. Didn't He, he knew he didn't have to do too much, especially if the pitch was where it was, and he could just take it the opposite way. Peralta obviously has a lefty. Takes it the opposite way, and that ties the game up at three. And it's just like, of course, David Peralta, just Padre killer. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure when he was with the Diamondbacks, he killed the Padres. And that's what happened here on Friday night. Does that. And then Bob Melvin decides to intentionally walk Jason Hayward. Now, this wasn't at the beginning of the count. It was 2-0. I understand Bob Melvin's explanation here, and I was fine with that. I think that he probably left Robert Suarez in too long. Like, I can get on him for that. But yanking Darvish, I was fine with. Intentionally walking Jason Hayward to get the right-on-right matchup with Chris Taylor up, coming up to the plate. Suarez already got down on the count 2-0. I'm totally fine with that. Robert Suarez, sometimes it's on the player. They just didn't do their job. You know, the guy making millions of dollars, the guy that just signed that big contract in the offseason, sometimes he just doesn't do his job and we should get on him for just not doing his job instead of the manager who isn't the one on the mound, right? Now, once you give up the lead there 4-3, maybe some would say once it's tied 3-3, he should be yanked. But especially when it's 4-3 like that, you got to get him out. And actually, when I'm looking back at this, that's what Bomel did. So, okay, so maybe looking back on this and just going through play-by-play, because when I'm at the game, some things kind of get lost. So I'm just going through this here play by play here. And maybe Bowmel should after the Peralta double, okay, you take him out and then you face you have Cosgrove face Hayward because Hayward's a lefty. You go left on left there. Um so I would have been fine with that looking back on that in hindsight. But it's also a tie game and you got to realize there's still two outs. So 
you know, still in that spot, I guess I'm fine with Robert Suarez facing Jason Hayward. And then you get behind in the count. It's like, okay, you intentionally walk him. Now, maybe you bring in Cosgrove. But then, if you're Bob Melvin, that's a left-on-right matchup. Do you want Cosgrove, a lefty, facing a righty in Chris Taylor? Do you believe in his breaking stuff to get Chris Taylor out? Or do you want Robert Suarez, a righty, facing a righty in Chris Taylor? You know? That's that's the debate in his head and with Ruben Niebla. That's a debate that they had to have there, and he decided to stick with Robert Suarez and, again, have faith in his guys, and it ended up costing the Padres there. Um, so, you know, again, I was at the game, so I, I thought that Suarez stuck in after Taylor walked, after he walked Taylor. I thought he stuck in for another batter, but he didn't. So I don't have a huge bone to pick here. You know, I'm sure some disagree. I don't have a huge bone to pick with Bob Melvin's managerial decisions here. I've had some in the past, for sure. Uh, I've had some this season. But here, I mean, again, going into that inning, you have Robert Suarez coming up on the mound. You know, you're eight and ninth guys. And I think he was thinking that he was going to turn it around at some point. And even when things weren't looking good, he was still one strike away from David Peralta, right? Getting him out. He was one strike away, I believe, from getting Chris Taylor out when he walked him. I think that was a 3-2 count, if I remember correctly. So, like, he was right there. So it's kind of hard to, you know, bash Bob Melvin when Suarez was right there to getting out of that inning and making Bob Melvin look fine in that spot, you know? Sometimes it's on the player for just not being able to do their job. Like, bases loaded in that spot. You can't walk the guy with the bases loaded. I think Josh Hader did that earlier in the year against San Francisco uh, at Oracle Park, right? Bases loaded comes in and walks the guy with the bases loaded. You just can't do that. You cannot afford to do that in that spot. You know, throw a pitch down the middle. If it gets hit, it gets hit. But you can't give him a free pass. You got to make him beat you. And Suarez didn't do that in that spot. So, yeah. Um, and the bullpen obviously imploded. Cosgrove, it's not like Cosgrove came in and dominated. I mean, he walked J.D. Martinez with the bases loaded to bring in David Peralta. So maybe he would have done the same thing that Robert Suarez did if he would have come in, right? So, again, I, I was I was, I was, was fine with the decisions Bob Melvin made on Friday. I think it goes down to the guys that all the, all, all the fan base trust. I mean, you trust Robert Suarez. comes down to him just not doing his job. And Tom Crosgrove walking a guy with the bases loaded can't do that. Gives up the single to Ahmed Rosario. And then in the ninth, I mean, Scott Barlow didn't even pitch well, right? Single to Mookie, allows Mookie to steal. Hit by pitch to Freddie. Gives up a double to Will Smith. Uh, Chris Taylor hit a ball hard, made it 10-4. Um, and then that was the end of Barlow. And then Garcia threw a couple pitches, whatever. But yeah, the bullpen just got knocked around or they just gave free passes to the Dodgers. And so it was just frustrating to watch because... I have a Dodger fan sitting to my left a few seats down, and he just won't shut up. He won't stop dancing. So that's freaking annoying. The let's go Dodgers chance and the Dodger blue. And I don't blame Padres fans. Like once Suarez gives up the lead there, he walks a guy in with the bases loaded. Padres fans, they end up, some ended up leaving. I obviously stayed till the end uh, because I, Obviously, as you saw, anyone that watched my post-game reaction, I was sitting in my seat after the game. Um, and I think 
I didn't see this, but I saw someone point that out in the comments that there was actually a Dodger fan dancing in the background uh, midway, I think, through that video. So yeah, that that's what I was dealing with was Dodger fans dancing around and let's go Dodgers and all that crap. Just feeling like, you know, it's their stadium and I'm just tired of that. You know, tonight, obviously the Padres, they get a great win and Dodger fans probably were pretty quiet then. For me, at least personal experience at Petco Park, I don't see Padres fans. Like when the Padres took the leads in the playoffs, it wasn't them talking crap to Dodger fans. It was us ex- it was us just being excited and us just jumping up and down and celebrating with other Padres fans, right? At least that's what I saw. With Dodger fans, it feels like they like to take it farther and and not just celebrate with themselves amongst themselves, but take it into Padres fans, you know, make it, you know, take it into them, if that makes sense. Um, and, and involve them when they should just, you know, you can keep it to yourself. That that's what annoys me sometimes about Dodger fans. It's like, we get it. You're a better team. You beat us all the time. We get it. But I feel like sometimes it's like, okay, you're, you're taking it too far here. You know, just celebrate amongst yourselves, but we're already, you know, Padre fans are pissed off. You don't have to keep rubbing it in, in, you know, in Padres fans' faces sometimes, right? Um, but at the same time, I know in the postseason, I'm sure Padres fans rubbed it in Dodger fans' faces. So I understand Dodger fans, right, wanting to do that same thing back. But even it, it happened even before the postseason last year where they come into Petco Park and, you know, they they like to troll Padres fans when the Padres are already getting beaten down, you know. Uh, but, yeah, getting back to the game last night, yeah, just a f- really frustrating loss. Just, you had it right there. It's obviously more frustrating because you had it right there. Is that, did we have, like, in a span of 30 hours or whatever it was, did we have the loss of the year, like the worst loss of the year, and the best win of the year? Did we have that in the span of like 30 hours? Because Friday, that sucked. You know, Dodgers, obviously, that plays into this maybe being the worst loss of the year. I can point to others, but you have it right there. And just the way it happened. I mean, giving them runs, giving them free base runners, and then just hits all over the place, right? And then obviously today, facing the Dodgers, you know, looking like maybe they were going to lose, but then they come back. Manny has a huge game and on TV, it, you know, it's, it seemed like a playoff atmosphere there. Right. So being able to punch back at the Dodgers, right. Um, Maybe that's the win of the year. So we'll see. David says, is this talking friars or whining friars? I'm it's I'm talking about the Padres and I'm giving my thoughts on Dodger fans sometimes from personal experience, from things that I've seen. That's how I feel. And yes, that's a valid point, David. Stop rubbing it in. Uh, Okay, Kershaw meme. Yes, the Padres did rub it into the Dodgers there. Yes, I will definitely admit that. And I, I was fine with it at that time because the Padres just beat 
the Dodgers in the postseason. So they had that, and they just beat them in that game. It's not like they played it in the middle of the game or something before the result had happened. So, yeah, I was fine with it there. So maybe I am being a little bit hypocritical. But um, that's a scoreboard operator doing that. I'm talking about, like, personally, fan to fan that I've seen where it's like, okay, do you, do you have to go that far? We get it. You guys won. We get it. You guys beat us all the time. We get it. But, you know, you can celebrate amongst yourselves. That Again, that's just me speaking from personal experience. But I'll move on because, yes, if I'm sure some don't want to keep hearing me whine about that. Um, okay. Another thing that made that frust- made it more frustrating, at least this earlier this morning when I was reading Kevin Acey's Padres Daily Newsletter, was the quality start thing, right? Like Darvish, he delivers a quality start. 53 quality starts for the Padres this season. Today doesn't count. Five innings, three runs for Snell, not six for not six innings, three runs. 53 quality starts. 20 of the 53 have ended up being losses for the Padres this season. You know how good they were last season in those close games and all that, right? Well, this year we know they're not good in close games. They suck in extra innings. They haven't won a game in extra innings. And a lot of these quality starts, these 20 losses out of 53 quality starts, I assure you that most of those, they end up being those close losses, right? It's not like it's a quality start and it's a blowout, right? No, it's a lot of close games there. So wasting performances from the pitching staff. They keep you in games. They're a reason why you're in the game. They give you a lead, hand it off to the bullpen, do your job, finish it off, just not being able to do it. So it's a combination of the bullpen, right? The bullpen had their struggles. You know, Friday night was one of those. But also the Padres offense. The, the lack of clutchness sometimes this season where they were able to do it tonight in this win. But like, there's been a lot of times this season where it's like, man, okay, base is loaded. They're teasing you. And then they can't come through, right? Down by one big spot. And I don't want to pick on Trent Grisham, but it's happened multiple times. Grish strikes out and it's like, oh, well, there goes that opportunity or, uh, what was it? Was it, I think it was Friday night, first and second, nobody out and Campy got out. I forget who else it was, but I know Campy popped out. I want to say, let me, cause I have it up right here. So let me go back in that situation. I think it was the second inning, first and second, second inning. Yeah. Bogart singled, crony doubled. It was G-Man Choi. First Padres at, yeah. First Padre at bat. He strikes out swinging. Campy pops out to Will Smith, and then Grish flies out to center. It's like, oh my gosh, golden opportunity there. You got first and second. Runner in scoring position with nobody else, and you can't get a run in. You go back to Colorado, right? That was recently. Bases loaded. Nobody outs in extra innings, and you can't get a freaking run in. Right? So just the lack of clutchness, if that's a word um, or, or a phrase. Lack of clutchness this year. So. What they did today, and I know some of the runs were given to the Padres, you know, extra base runners given to the Padres, but capitalizing on those presents given to you by the other team, 
coming in clutch, having more clutchness late in games like that, they're going to have to do that, I think, if they're going to want to get to where they want to go. Because you're not going to win. The wins that the Padres are going to have this year, they're not all going to be blowouts at the end of the day. You're going to have to win close games. So I'm going to be interested in seeing how this team performs the rest of the year um, in those close games. Can they kind of change that narrative? Like Padres suck in close games by having, you know, these these last couple months here being really good baseball in close games? Or are these close games going to end up costing the Padres because maybe they miss the playoffs by a couple games, right? So, yeah, really frustrating. Friday night and then tonight, a, a really entertaining comeback win, but you just wish that you could see some more consistency from this Padres team. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I want to talk about this Musgrove injury, him being shut down for three weeks. But I'll talk about that after this break. Check out Gaglione Bros' famous cheesesteaks and garlic fries on Friars Road. You can visit their website, gaglionebros.com, for their entire menu and enjoy their cheesesteaks and fries at Petco Park and Snapdragon Stadium as well. Okay, so what is the effect going to be? Joe Musgrove here, he is shut down for three weeks. And that doesn't mean that he's going to return in three weeks a minimum of three weeks, he's going to be out. And I would say a minimum of probably four or five weeks that he's going to be not pitching at the big league level for the Padres. He might not even return at all the rest of this season. I mean, Kevin Acey left open that possibility. AJ Preller pretty much left open that possibility of him not returning. They're not, he, he said they're not closing the door on him returning, meaning like they have the doors open, the possibilities there for him to not come back as well right so yeah shoulder injury um and he saw dr neil elitrosh i think that's his name multiple doctors not just him but he's like a big doctor with tommy john and all that it's not we don't think it's surgery right now like at least from the things that i've read but yeah concerning for sure joe musgrove it's wind day i was on john and jim outside petco before yesterday's game 
uh, discussing the impact of this Joe Musgrove injury. And uh, I was talking about it. They were mentioning it too. Like when he and Snell are on the mound for these last couple months, it has been Wednesday. These since the beginning of June, Musgrove has a sub two ERA. He has been tremendous for this Padres team. And he's been dealing with some injuries while pitching this well, right? The the elbow thing, right? The what's it called? Bursus sack or whatever. I forget what it's called. But he's been dealing with that and still pitching well, just finding a way to get the job done. And so it's not going to be win day when Rich Hill takes the mound on Sunday. It's just not. Padres could win, but if you look at the game logs for Rich Hill, he's someone that it's not like he's going to be guaranteed to go six innings every time out. You know, he's a rubber arm if you go look at his career, right? He's still pitching, you know, at 43 or however old he is, oldest guy in Major League Baseball. He's still finding a way, but he's not Joe Musgrove, right? You can't replace Joe Musgrove's production. You just can't. And I'm glad that Joe Musgrove is a pitcher because if this was Tatis or if this was Soto, someone like that, that would be a bigger loss because obviously those guys play every day. And Musgrove mentioned that, like, you know, my impact, I, I help the team out once a week. You know, he essentially said that to the media when he was addressing this injury before the game yesterday. Like, yeah, one one day a week. It, it, it's going to be up to the guys in that clubhouse, guys playing every day, the other pitchers. Like, just keep playing good baseball, and they can stay in it, right? Um, But, you know, add up the Musgrove starts that he's going to miss. If he makes four or five starts in a month, he's going to be out the rest of this month. He already missed a start in Colorado. He was going to miss, or he was, they were penciling him in for Tuesday, and that might be Nick Martinez now. We'll see what happens there. That's two there. He's going to miss five, six, seven, maybe. He's going to miss at least five starts, I would say. Six, probably. And so what's the Padres record going to be in those six games? I am very fascinated in seeing how that's going to work. What is their record going to look like when Musgrove returns, if he returns? Because this could end up deciding the Padres postseason uh, hopes, right? If they make the postseason or not, they could miss the postseason by a couple games, a few games with the offense performing well, because Musgrove's not available right? Let's say Rich Hill bombs a couple starts or Nick Martinez can't be effective or whoever pitches in those outings in place of Musgrove. And the offense scores like four or five runs in a game, but starting pitching sucks so much that they still lose those games and they miss the playoffs by a couple games. You know, we're going to be looking back and it's like, man, yeah, missing Joe Musgrove, that ended the Padres season right there because Musgrove would not have pitched that bad. Again, these are hypotheticals, like if pitchers bomb, if they do bad. But it's obviously in my mind because Rich Hill, with all due respect to him, like I think he can still put together some solid outings and keep the Padres in games, but he's not going to be the reason why the Padres won a game. Like if the Padres, I don't think. If the Padres score two runs in a game, are the Padres going to win that game with Rich Hill on the mound, right? Is Rich Hill going to only give up one run and the Padres and the bullpen can shut it down and the Padres win that game? What if the Padres can only score one run? Are they going to go win that game with Rich Hill on the mound? I don't know. Probably not. 
right? And again, it's no disrespect to Rich Hill. It's just looking at the numbers and it's like, yeah, Joe Musgrove can't replace the guy, especially, you know, with the trade deadline being gone. Jim, Jim Russell asked me this, one of his questions uh, when I was on their show yesterday about, is this, do you think this was kind of like a, a bad luck thing or did the Padres know about this? And that's why they were interested in Verlander and Giolito. And for me, I don't, I don't think the Padres knew about this. You know, AJ was saying that yesterday talking to the media. Now, maybe you don't want to believe AJ and okay, you don't have to believe him, but AJ is someone that star hunts anyway. So I do, I do believe it in this case that they were expressing interest in Giolito just to see. They were expressing interest probably in Verlander to see what Mets were wanting. The, they probably knew like the Mets would be willing to pay off a lot of that contract. So just checking in and that's showing interest, right? So we don't know how, how interested Preller was in these guys. And I don't think this was a situation where it was like, well, they know Musgrove's out. So Rich Hill's the guy that's replacing him. That's the guy that they handpicked to go replace Joe Musgrove. They acquired Rich Hill to be a depth guy maybe be the five starter if Michael Walker comes back and he ends up getting hurt again, or if someone else in the rotation gets hurt, well, at least you have that insurance, right? You know, you don't have to go to, well, who the heck would they go to? Cause Ryan Weathers is gone. Jackson Wolf is gone. So you don't have to go to Pedro Avila every start, right? Like that's why they brought in Rich Hill to be a depth guy. So yeah, I truly believe like this is just a bad luck, bad timing thing. Like, they probably thought the Musgrove thing, it wasn't that, you know, because look at this. Because I just remembered this, like the trade deadline was Tuesday. Musgrove, he got scratched on Wednesday, I think. Or it was Tuesday night, I think, and the deadline obviously had passed. So did he get scratched before the deadline for the next day's game? Or did he get scratched after the deadline? And I'm led to believe, at least we are led to believe, that Musgrove got scratched Tuesday night which the deadline happened at 3 p.m. on Tuesday. So you couldn't make any more moves. So I think it was just a bad luck thing because the Padres would have gotten out. I think I'm pretty confident they would have went out and gotten more starting pitching other than just Rich Hill if they actually knew about the Joe Musker injury, right? So yeah, it's it's crushing for sure. Um, and yeah, you don't feel as good about the Padres reaching the postseason with Joe Musgrove being out for a month, a month plus, because that's what it's going to end up being. Three weeks, he shut down for three weeks. Again, I want I want to make that clear. He shut down for three weeks. He's not going to return after three weeks. He shut down from throwing. This is he told the media this yesterday. This is the longest that he will go in a long time, probably in his major league career, without throwing. He always used to throw in the offseason still. He'd back off, but he'd still throw a little bit. He's not going to throw at all for three weeks. So he's going to take some time to build back up. And then when he comes back, is he going to go six innings out of the gate? Probably not. So there's more pressure on the bullpen. There's, there's just a big effect here from one great pitcher going down. So it sucks. It definitely sucks. Um, and you just hope that Rich Hill and Pedro Avila and Nick Martinez and whoever fills in can keep the Padres in every game that they start because the Padres, they need the wins for sure. They need the wins. And 
you just hope that some of the wild card teams, like I said on the radio yesterday, you hope that some of the wild card teams will continue to come back to the Padres and the Padres don't have to go sweep a bunch of series and, you know, Rich Hill and Nick Martinez and whoever starts, they're going to like, those games are going to be must win games, right? Because hopefully they won the first two games of a series or they win the other two games of a three game set, you know? So again, we'll see how this works out, but yeah, that injury definitely sucked for the San Diego Padres. Um, Cole Hamels, Craig Stammen, they announced their retirements as well yesterday before the game, or the Padres announced them for them. The voluntary voluntary retired list or whatever they call it. Um, you know, Craig Stammen, he was a pretty valuable reliever for the Padres. I know that some Padres fans, you know, they're like, oh, Craig Stammen's in the game. Yeah, so mop-up duty, game's over. But those mop-up duties, those are important. You know, those those can add up to keep the bullpen healthy. And he ended up having a 13-year major league career. Had a 3-3-6 ERA with the Padres in six seasons. So it's not terrible. And he's kind of like the Rich Hill of bullpen arms. I just thought of that, by the way, right off the top of my head. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, I think. The Rich Hill of bullpen arms. Like, sure, Rich Hill, he's had some injuries in his career as well, but for the most part, whatever role that Bob Melvin, Jace Tingler, Andy Green, whatever role the Padres have needed Craig Stammen to fill in his Padres career, he's been able to do that. You know, long relief, um, pitching in games that aren't close to save bullpen, pitching in some type situations when he needs to, pitching in, or excuse me, not just pitching, starting in game three, winner go home, winner season's over in the wild card series against the Cardinals when they didn't have any starting pitcher that they're confident in going to, right? Starting that and pitching well on short notice against the Cardinals, like he did anything that the Padres needed him. And it seemed like he was a really good clubhouse guy, good teammate. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it sucks to have Craig Stammen retire because he wasn't in the Padres equation, but I'm just going to say that I think that Padres teammates are going to miss him being in that clubhouse because they, I think they relied on him. They, they, you know, he was like the, the, the clubhouse dad. I think I remember seeing people talk about that. Uh, members of the media mentioning that, you know, and, and players talking about that as well. So he was a presence in there, whether, you thought he had a huge role on the team or not. He did have a role for that Padres team. And Cole Hamels, that was kind of like, okay, we'll sign him, right? The Padres sign him, give him an opportunity. If he doesn't pitch, it's not that big of a deal. And it's not that big of a deal, right? Obviously, yeah, it would be great to have Cole Hamels stashed in AAA, but he wasn't going to be, he was never relied upon, right? I know at the beginning of the year, right when they signed Cole Hamels, I was like, maybe that'll be a depth option later in the year. But really, the depth options I was mentioning was Maurice Kinnear, Ryan Weathers, maybe I mentioned Pedro Avila, Honeywell, right? Because he was, I think, competing for start a starting role at that point. Nick Martinez. I was mentioning those guys, um, you know, back-end type starters, Reese Kinnear, 
before he got Tommy John, obviously. Uh, Morahone. I was mentioning those guys before Cole Hamels. Because Cole Hamels, that was like a mid-season thing. He wasn't built up when they first signed him. It was going to take a while. And it, it it didn't just take a while. It never happened. They, I, I think he was pitching in some of the complex league, like rookie ball stuff. And he just had a hard time recovering without pain, I guess, is what John Boggs, um, Cole Hamill's agent, he's actually been on the show before, Cole, Ham, uh, Cole Hamill's agent, Tony Gwynn's agent as well, John Boggs. Um, that's what he told, I believe, Dennis Lynn on Friday. So, yeah, it's unfortunate, but it's not something the Padres probably were losing sleep over. Oh, gosh, dang it, Cole Hamill's is retiring. Oh, no. Some people in the organization probably forgot about Cole Hamels. Like, oh, yeah, Preller signed that guy? Oh, yeah, okay. Like, whatever. So I wanted to touch on some of those injury, the Musgrove injury, obviously. Hamels and Stammen, uh hanging them up. And I hit on Friday's loss, obviously, tonight's win. And I'm going to go through the chat here after this break. So the rest of the show, I'll talk about San Diego sports as well at, at, at the on the other side of this break. And then we'll end the show with the chat. So stay tuned for that. I want to tell you about the best and easiest way to play fantasy sports. It's underdog fantasy. They have great pick'em games and best ball tournaments. In pickup games, just pick higher or lower on two to five players' stats, and you can win up to 20 times your money in a single night. You can go cross team, cross league, and even cross sport. Best ball revolves around the draft, which is what every fan loves the most about fantasy, and it eliminates the hassle of having to manage your roster all season long, resulting in a fun and easy fantasy product. How does it work exactly? You enter a contest where you participate in a snake draft against other users. That lineup that you drafted competes against every other draft in the entire contest. The better the combined performance of your team, the more money you win. After your lineup is all played, Underdog will take the best performing players and automatically set them as your starting lineup. That's it. No waivers, no trades, no worrying about who to start or sit. After you complete your draft, your part is done. Underdog Fantasy offers best ball in a variety of ways, including daily contests, weekly contests, playoff contests, and season-long contests. You can either enter into these and compete against thousands of other entrants for huge prizes, or, if you'd like, you can enter into a private draft with friends and family to compete for a smaller prize pool. Underdog keeps it super simple with their easy-to-use website and mobile apps. Sign up now by clicking the link in the description or by using the promo code TALKINGFRIERS and you'll double your first deposit up to $100 in bonus cash when you make your first deposit of $10 or more. So if you deposit $100, you get $100 free. If you deposit $10, you get $10 free. All right, so I'll get to the chat here. Real quick, some other San Diego sports, maybe not real quick, because I do have some thoughts on some of uh, on the wave and on San Diego State, what the heck is happening there with conference realignment. But just to hit on the San Diego Loyal here for a few seconds. I did not watch the San Diego Loyal match because the Padres game was happening, obviously, at the same time. But the San Diego Loyal, they ended up losing tonight 3-1 to one to Orange County. But I'm not going to go elaborate on this match because I didn't watch it. 
So I'm not going to act like I know what I'm talking about, about tonight's match because I didn't watch it, you know? So Evan Conway scored, um, loyal. They were playing better. They were playing better, but unfortunate loss tonight. Okay. Getting to the San Diego wave. So this is stuff that I can more elaborate on because I actually watched it. And, you know, so again, I, I don't want to, with the loyal, usually I talk about the match, but I wasn't watching it. So I'm not going to elaborate on, on that. Uh, the San Diego wave. So earlier today, the San Diego wave, they tied with Angel City. This was the final Challenge Cup match of the year for the San Diego wave. They're not advancing in the Challenge Cup, which it doesn't really matter. It's because that's a separate in-season tournament. There's a $1 million prize money for the winner of the Challenge Cup, I believe. But what matters most is the regular season. And so today was kind of just an opportunity to get better. And it was it still wasn't the most encouraging performance, I don't think, from the Wave. But it just continues their struggles without Alex Morgan, without Naomi Gurma, um, without Kaylin Sheridan, obviously, their starting keeper, without Sophia Jakobsen, without Emily Van Eggman. Like, they're playing without a lot of key players. And that's not even to mention that Taylor Korniak wasn't playing and McNabb wasn't playing. So they have World Cup players not there, and they have some of their other better players that were there just not playing. Now, they did have the return of Abby Dahlkemper, which was great to see. She played for the first half. Um, it's, it's just amazing to see her back on the field. She It was almost a year where because she was dealing with the back injury and just a long road to um, getting fully recovered and being able to be back out there. And so she got to wear the captain arm, arms band there for the first half. Uh, Jane Shaw gave the wave the lead early 11th minute. Bad pass by Angel City's keeper, uh, Heritage, Didi Heritage. Shaw got it, so she turned from defense to offense, left foot in, gave the wave the lead. And though later, and it was minutes later, um, Canberra's in the 16th minute, it looked like she was trying to pass it in. It was just a cross. I thought it was a crosser, but... She ended up scoring on that pass. Maybe she meant to shoot it. It Looking on the replay, it didn't look like she meant to shoot it um, because Yanez, who's the obviously backup keeper for the wave, she came out. So she was just trying to get back to her position. She just got back to her position, looked up, and the ball was coming. Um, so maybe a little bit of a late reaction on her part or maybe not the best positioning. But it, it looked like she was just trying to take advantage of it and cross in a pass but she ended up scoring on that and that ended up being the final score of this match so again i'm not super concerned by this like yeah they're they're not having success the wave in, in terms of wins without their key players right no alex morgan no kaylin sheridan no naomi germa right like those are three really key players and obviously there's more that they're missing um including sophia jacobson who's team sweden they're going to be playing against Team USA. Nay, Alex, Team USA, later, or tomorrow morning, I guess, 2 a.m. Without those players, it's going to be hard to win. You take Fernando, Juan Soto, Manny Machado, Joe Musgrove. Like, that. this, this is what it is. 
you take them off the Padres, are they going to win very many games? Probably not, right? Like that that's what it is. So it's really this whole opportunity challenge cup for the most part, it was an opportunity for these younger players to get more time together, get more minutes, get better. And hopefully they accomplish that. Now I know the results maybe don't show that in terms of a bunch of wins, but hopefully they did, you know, get some more comfort, more playing time. Um, and, you know, Jane Shaw, obviously getting to kind of head the, the offense while the main players were away fresh off of the X, ex, the extension signing, um, yeah, signing that extension, getting that goal early in the match today. Um, and now just waiting for the regular season to return, obviously, because they're not going to be advancing in the Challenge Cup stuff. So for the San Diego Wave, the regular season will return against Gotham, and that match is going to be at home. That is on August 19th, so Saturday, August 19th. So that's in a couple weeks, not next week, but the week after that. And then they go on the road on the 25th, so the week after that, to face off against Orlando. And the the Waves official welcome back match, September 3rd against Houston, that's when all of the Wave World Cup players will officially be back. That's their first home match back, um, I believe, post-World Cup. And if the U.S., hopefully they go on and win. I know they're not playing great, at least at, to their best you know, level of play. But once they come back, hopefully the wave will start to hit their stride, play better, secure that postseason spot, and hopefully end their season at Snapdragon Stadium in the NWSL championship game. But a long way from that. But again, the wave, they draw with Angel City here one to one. Okay. Now, so U.S. again, later today, 2 a.m., so not today, I guess, tomorrow morning, 2 a.m. against Sweden. It's the knockout round, round of 16. U.S. has to win or else they are done. Sweden has to win or else they are done. So there's definitely wave representation. Naomi Gurma, Alex Morgan on Team USA's side, and Sofia Jakobsen on Sweden's side. Sorry, Sofia. I'm definitely rooting for Nay and Alex. I'm on, I'm on their side tonight. I actually got – shout out to Breaking T here. I got my uh, I gotta stand up. I gotta stand up for this. My uh, Trinity Rodman shirt on. Trin for the win. So hopefully she gets some playing time. She's not a San Diego Wave player, but just shout out to Breaking T for that shirt. You can click the link that's in the description for some great San Diego sports swag or just other shirts, sweatshirts that you like there. Uh, Breaking T, great stuff there. And then use my code Talking Friars twenty dollars off your SeatGeek order. Um, yeah, let's get to San Diego State here. So there is a lot happening right now in conference realignment. A lot happened on Friday. And on Friday morning, it looked like maybe Oregon and Washington were going to stay in the Pac-12. Maybe Arizona was not going to sign with the Big 12, and they were going to come back to the Pac-12, but Oregon and Washington stayed if they stayed. But then, like, within the next hour, things started to rapidly happen. And it is rapidly a word? Whatever. Things started to happen. And Oregon and Washington, they go to the Big Ten. So now the conference, there's, like, nothing really left. I mean, Oregon is a huge school. 
Washington's a big school as well with the Pac-12. USC, UCLA have already gone, obviously, to the Big Ten. And now Oregon, Washington joining them. So Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, they're like, why are we staying in this conference? So they go to the Big 12. And now that leaves the Pac-12 as a Pac-4. So the Pac-12 is not a conference right now, really. Washington State, Oregon State, Cal, and Stanford are the only four teams left. So I think what this could do is benefit San Diego State. Now, obviously, you would think that the, what we wanted, right, was San Diego State, right, they, they earned it, Pac-12 invite, if the media deal would get done, and they'd get to be in the same conference as Oregon and Stanford and all these bigger schools, right? Like, they get to be a part of the actual Pac-12. But now, that's not going to happen. So what could happen now is the Pac-12 merge with the Mountain West, and Mark Siegler wrote about this in the San Diego Union Tribune here uh, recently. They could merge. Now, maybe not all Mountain West schools end up being a part of it, like the smaller, lesser teams, but Mountain West and San Diego State, obviously, they're the premier program in the Mountain West, so they'd be a big part of this merger if it were to happen. They could merge Stanford, Cal, Washington State, Oregon State, San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise State, more teams as well. Maybe they add, maybe add a team uh, on the outside as well. And they could, I don't know if you would call it the Pac-12 still or the Pac whatever, how many teams would end up being in it. Maybe they make a new name, but maybe San Diego State would be in a power five now. Like maybe this conference, this whatever new conference this might be, or maybe these teams just go to the Mountain West. I don't know. But Whatever conference this is, this could be a Power 5 school, San Diego State could be, without having to pay the $17 million exit fee and have to wait for an invite if an invite ever came from the Pac-12. Now, they could you know, maybe benefit from not having to pay the, the big exit fee and, and all that. So we'll see. I, I think San Diego State, it's, it's unfortunate, right? Like the position that they put themselves in, they were in a good position to go to the Pac-12, and they earned it. But that's not going to happen. But still, I think they're in a fine position wherever this goes because it's not like the Pac-12's going to be a thing. Like It's just not happening. In San Diego State, they're the premier program in the Mountain West, and I think a merger could happen between the remaining four teams in the Pac-12, so the Pac-4, and the best teams in the Mountain West. Again, maybe they take some other schools and other conferences. But San Diego State would be a huge part of that, right? Huge. So I think they're in a good spot. And for anyone that thinks that San Diego State, like, they're at fault in any way here, they're not. Like, I think that maybe they shouldn't have done the whole letter thing, right? Like, the the paper trail, we intend to leave the conference, because you know that got Mount Mountain West pissed off, and then they had to pay some extra money. They they never left, so they're still in the Mountain West. But they maybe that wasn't the best. But that doesn't have anything to do with what happened with the Pac-12 and that thing dissolving, you know, that thing just crumbling. San Diego State, it's not like they could just walk up to the Pac-12 commissioner or other schools in the Pac-12 and be like, "We want in." They have to get an invite, and there was no invite coming for San Diego State until a meteorites deal was going to get done. 
And there was no meteorites deal going to get done because schools in the Pac-12, they didn't like the instability of that. They didn't like that mostly it was going to be streaming and no one was going to be paying attention to the conference. So they said, all right, we're done. We're out. Other teams are already leaving. Other, excuse me, other schools are there. They're already leaving. So we're gone. And this is what has happened. So the Mountain West, they have a TV deal. They, you know, CBS Sports and all that, like they have it. So they're, they're in a better spot than the remaining teams in the pack four are, you know? So it's a lot has, a lot has happened recently and it's, it sucks for San Diego state because we all thought we were envisioning, you know, pac 12 and getting to be in the same conference as Oregon and all that. Like I was excited about that, but that's not going to happen. Maybe they end up in the same conference as Stanford and that would be cool. Um, but yeah, the Pac-12, not how we envisioned that uh, happening. Like six months ago or something where we thought, yeah, San Diego State, good spot that they're in. Well, Pac-12, it's, it's not a thing anymore. Okay. Let's get to the chat here and tonight on the chat. I'm going to get to the super chat first here from Jason. Thank you so much for the super chat. Any super chats, they come right to the front of the line, makes it because it's super easy for me to see it, and you're supporting the channel. So thank you very much for that. Jason says, watch Walker in Salt Lake tonight, and he looked decent. Velocity was good as well. Padres need to play for blood to win the next two. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's urgency with all these games because you don't know what's going to happen when they go to Seattle, don't know what's going to happen when uh, they go to Arizona. And, if yeah, if you have an opportunity to gain some ground on the Dodgers, you do it. And even if it's who cares, like the division, I'm not even thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about the wild card. And it's like, you're, you're still behind in the wild card. You're still under 500, right? One game under right now. Get out, get over 500, make a statement, get some confidence and keep inching closer to that wild card position. And with Waka, yeah, if this is correct, Jason, velocity looked decent or velocity was good. He looked decent. That's great. I just hope that he can stay healthy. Like when he's on the mound so far this year, he's been solid for the Padres. I just, I just hope that he'll be able to stay healthy when he comes back. Because if he doesn't, that's even more of a problem for the Padres, right? All right. I'm not going to be able to get to everybody in the chat here tonight, but I'll try to get to the main comments that I want to bring up here. Kathy says this game had NLDS game for energy tonight. That's for sure. That's what, that's what it felt like. I was, I was in the building for game four of the NLDS and that was shaking. I was not in the building tonight, but uh, it, it, it looked like that on television for sure. Devin wants me to talk about the Tim Anderson, Jose Ramirez fight. I did do a quick video on that on my MLB YouTube channel, baseball struck. So you can watch that. But yeah, that was crazy tonight. I mean, that's the most interesting thing that's happened between those two teams all season long. That's the most interesting thing that's happened in the AL Central all season long, right? Like, I've never seen that before, where both dudes are squaring off in the middle of the diamond. Like, that's crazy. And Tim Anderson got knocked. He got leveled down. J-Ram... He definitely connected on that. That was the main event tonight for sure. <laughs> that was wild. 
Um, okay, just continuing to go through the chat here. Do you guys want like a little bit of music going in behind in the background here while I'm going through the chat so it's not like dead silence as I'm going through the chat? I'll do I'll I'll do it super light here, okay? If it'll play. Because I don't I don't want people on the podcast here to be like what happened? No, it's not for that. I am obviously And says Pete's luck sometimes to win that baseball or what? I drink. Eight and special size all They just go your way sometimes. And you're like, thank goodness that they did. Um, David says, Rich Hill at 43 may go deeper than Snell, the Cy Young candidate. Maybe. I mean, sometimes. You know, Snell obviously can get into trouble, you know, five innings. Hill can pitch into the sixth. Like if he's being efficient. But I don't think the Potters are expecting him to go six innings every time out. Yeah, Dodgers know Rich Hill well, for sure. But you think that the Padres know the Dodgers lineup pretty well now, too. And I think Rich Hill probably knows the Dodgers pretty well, too. Uh, someone asked here, what's the key to the Padres winning tomorrow, meaning Sunday? Uh, I think that you get some quality innings out of Rich Hill. And if you pounce on Lance Lynn early, because I think, I mean, maybe just the World Baseball Classic stands out to me because I was really locked into that start that Lance Lynn had. But, like, you know, maybe early, not the best, but once he gets locked in, he's locked in. Like you're not gonna, you're not gonna get past him, you know. So get on him early. I think that's gonna be a key for the Padres, and obviously the bullpen not blowing up like Friday, that'll be huge. And obviously we'll, we'll see Manny's status. That that's gonna be big. Mike says, "Too bad AJ didn't take starting pitching." as seriously this last offseason as he did in spending a gazillion dollars more on offense. Well, what did you want him to do, Mike, in the offseason? Did you want him to go sign Carlos Rodon? How is that working out for the Yankees right now? I know it's early. You want him to bring back Sean Manaya? What did you want him to do? I, I Look, the Michael Walker signing, it's worked out pretty well. I know he got hurt, but he, he's pitched well. Seth Lugo has pitched well. The additions that AJ has made pitching-wise, starting pitching-wise, I think, unless I'm forgetting some someone, which I might be, they've worked out pretty well for the Padres. And the rotation, it's actually been good this season. It's been one of the Padres' strengths this season. So 
I'm not going to totally agree with you on that. Uh, Tacman says, I do want to see Utah State in the Pac-12. The Pac-12 is not a thing, though. It's not going to, unless they merge with the Mountain West and they say it has to be named the Pac-12 and they don't bring all of the Mountain West schools and it's only 12 schools, like Utah State's not, it's not the Pac-12. It, it might just be a new name or maybe it's called the Mountain West, and but the Pac-12 maintains leadership of it because like they were the power five conference i don't know but the pac-12 is done i'd be i'd kind of be surprised if they keep it as the same name just because of what has happened and george kleofkoff the commissioner of the pac-12 that dude should just resign at some point because it's a terrible look for him Kind of feels like the Padres. Like, he just didn't have urgency with this TV deal and all that. Didn't have urgency at the beginning. And it's costed him. Oh, uh, Victoron bringing up Ryan Weathers. Are you going to talk about Ryan Weathers' rough outing? I can. Um, yeah, he got hit around pretty good. I, was it? I don't know if it was his Marlins debut. But... Yeah, I turned on MLB Network, and yeah, Ryan Weathers was pitching for the Marlins against the Rangers in Texas, and Ryan sucked. I mean, he gave two homers. I forget what his final line was, but yeah, was not good. And it was like, wow, those are some meatballs that he's throwing up there. So I kind of feel bad for him. Like, first outing, you're trying to make a good impression. But yeah. Like, it, it brings me back to the point like I had when the Padres first acquired Ryan. Like, they they probably just thought, yeah, it's he's reached his potential here with the Padres. Like, this is the best that they're gonna get out of Ryan Weathers, and it might be it might be the case. Tacman says Mountain West they're actually in a good position for both football and basketball to be. To be like a power five, yeah, and just as a conference because, again, the Pac-12 is nothing right now. It's it's not a conference. What, Stanford's going to play Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State five times every year? Like, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, the Mountain West, is the they're the, they're the more stable conference. They have the TV deal. They have 11 schools. I think it's 11, not four. <laughs> so, yeah, they're in a much better spot. Mike says the picks up, the pickups of Choi and Cooper are going to pay positive dividends. Huge upgrade at the DH already and good teammates. They both contributed today with a walk and a knock. Yep. I feel like tomorrow, Ivan, I see him in the comments here. Predictions. Lynn versus, versus Hill. I feel like it's going to come down to the bullpen. It's either going to come down to the bullpen or... The Padres aren't going to be able to get to Lancelin early and he's going to just cruise and dominate. And the Dodgers are going to end up, end up winning. I like the Padres' chances of winning on Monday probably better than tomorrow, to be honest. But the Padres have they've been a little unpredictable at times. 
and they proved me wrong at times this year. Now, not consistently, but they proved me wrong at times this year. All right, music off, music off. That's going to do it. Talking Friars episode 438. Sorry if I was blabbing a lot too much or I was rambling. Uh, Just had a lot of different thoughts and going in different directions tonight. So hopefully you enjoyed the show. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you have not already. Just one click or one quick plug again. The breakdown is out. It was out before the show even started on what happened tonight. Crazy stuff that happened tonight with Manny getting pissed off and Nayla getting ejected. Manny coming through huge in that spot in the eighth. Post-game reaction, a shortened post-game reaction is also out. And then I will have a reaction to the U.S. Women's National Team match probably sometime after 4 a.m. tomorrow morning. USA Sweden, I'll be up for that. So I'll probably get a couple hours, a couple hour nap and then wake up for that U.S. Women's National Team match. And hopefully they bring a win so I can be happy talking to you guys at 4 a.m. Because that's going to suck if they lose. All right, that'll do it. Talking for hours, episode 438. Thank you so much for the time. Have a great rest of your night.